I want you to open, first of all, to Proverbs 11, and then Proverbs 23. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 11, and verse 24 through 28. And then I'll read briefly from Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 11. You can follow me there too, if you so desire. But I'm going to read Proverbs 11 first, and then we'll go to Proverbs 23. Our subject is money and you. And it is a big deal when you begin to read and seek out what the Bible says about this subject, you'll find there's a lot in there about this, how money can be a blessing in your life and promote you spiritually, or money can be a curse and detain you or ruin you. Money today seems to be, for a lot of people, the great cure-all. If I've got money I can have, and then I'll be able to do, and then everything will be just fine. And yet the world is full of a lot of well-to-do people that are not just fine. And the Bible talks about that there are a lot of people who grow rich or who become rich, and in the end they perish. And so that wasn't good. Riches can be good. It can be bad. You need to know what your responsibility as Christian is when it comes to money, how you should relate to it, how it should relate to you, and how... You should relate to God and what to do with it. As I said, there's a whole lot about it. One of the things we said in meetings past was that we are, by nature, being Christians, we are givers. It's a natural thing for a Christian to give. Even though we might have grown up in a stingy family or a family where there was a spirit of poverty, we might have griped and complained about money all the time. And that was just the nature that was lodged in your heart and mind. Then you become a Christian, and if the subject's ever taught on, you begin to discover how much in bondage you were to money and how much money controlled your thinking and how it warped your sense of values and stuff. Again, you learn to give, you'll get delivered from all that tightness and stingy stuff. And there's many ways to give. As we started out saying, you give to the poor and to the needy, and they'll always be with you, the Bible said. It doesn't have to be you, but they'll be around you. And then there's always going to be those that, in other places that you're inspired to give, missionary work or missionaries that go or people that go and, and labor in a foreign field, whether for a long time or a short time. But there'll be those that, God will lay on their heart to be supportive of that and to share of your resources in order to to help the gospel prevail in countries where there isn't a lot of thanks for the preachers and for the missionaries. They don't get much reward from those places. And sometimes they have to struggle, but God can make us to make it easier for them and cause us to make it easier for them. Now, in Proverbs 11, it says, verse 23, the desire of the righteous... Is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Now, there is, I'm going to put the word he there, though it's not in the Bible, there is he that scattereth and yet increases, that he gives and yet he gets. And then there is he that holds back more than is necessary or meet, 
but it tends to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. And he that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. But blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor. But he that seeketh mischief, it shall come unto him. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. But the righteous shall flourish as a branch. That's pretty clear about our need to have money in right perspective and not be controlled by it, but to control it, to give, to share, to make it easy on somebody else, to contribute to the well-being and the goodness of somebody or some group. Or if its grain is low, to sell your grain. I don't think there's ever been a blessing come upon people who take advantage of poverty situations. When oil companies increase the price of oil because there is a shortage. It only hurts the poor. You know that? It's only the poor that really get hurt. Other people can manage, but it's the poor that get hurt. And people who spike prices because of whatever, that's not a thing that a Christian should ever do. Chapter 23 and verse 4. We're warned. Labor not to be rich. Don't live to be rich. Don't seek to be rich. Cease from your own wisdom on figuring out how you can get and have. Remember this verse. God said, if you will diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, will incline your ear into his sayings, and you will keep them, and, and all of that. In other words, if you will put God in his word first, seek that, live this way, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Remember that? In Deuteronomy 28, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. You're not seeking them. God causes them to seek you. And they find you because God knows where you are. But that's the way it works. You seek first the kingdom of God. And Jesus said all these things that the world is seeking for, God will give it to you. Now, it doesn't always look that way. Those times of testing, that season of drought, it seems, is nothing more than a time of God testing your heart to see if you'll stay with what you believe that he's promised or whether you'll back off and give up and say, well, I don't guess it works for everybody, you know, blah, 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 blah. But listen at this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 11. As a partridge sitteth on eggs and hatcheth them not, so is he that getteth riches and not by right. He shall leave them in the midst of his days, and in the end he shall be a fool. Isn't that something? Did you know there is a right way to get things and a wrong way to get things? There is a way in which things come into your life that are blessings. There are ways you get things, and when they come into your life, in the end of your life, you're a fool. You traded your whole life to have whatever you think you've got now, and you gave up heaven and eternal life. Let me say it again for the third time. We cannot allow ourselves to be controlled by money, being stingy and tight, or being foolish in the same boat. 
We have to learn to hear from God, to know what his will is, and to be generous, liberal, and willing to do whatever he wants when he wants it. And again, you can give money you don't have when you shouldn't. You can give and hurt yourself. Well, I've heard preachers say, give until it hurts. That's not what the Bible said. That's not what the Bible said. That give until it hurts. Then we have to preach a message on healing so you can get healed from your hurt. As I said, we have talked about that last week, about giving and supporting the work of God, helping the poor. And then last time we talked about giving to the local church, the ministry, which is in type. The New Testament church is the type of priesthood. People really do believe in tithing. It's traditional. It's ingrained in most Christians' thinking. It almost always pops up when you think, how much should I give or how much of this does the Lord want? It'll almost always say a tenth because that's the way you were raised. That's what you've always heard. That's what is, seems to be orthodox amongst the church. That's the standard. That's the way it is. And you give a tenth. And not many do. But that seems to be the number that pops up. Well, that was an Old Testament standard. A tenth was required. It didn't matter what you purposeth in your heart. You gave a tenth. It, it was like a rule. It was a law. And you did that whether you felt good about it or not. You did it. In the New Testament, things have changed. You're still required to give. But now it's not by some standard that came from a law. All of that has been set aside as a way for a man to be right with God. The law could make nobody right with God, and by practicing the law, you can't make yourself right. You couldn't then, you can't now. As a teacher, it taught us a lot of things the law did. We learned a lot of types and shadows in the Old Testament. We see a lot of things that were hinted at or mentioned in the Old, revealed in the New. And so we learn, we, we read, like the Bible said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. In Romans 15 and verse 4, it said the things written aforetime were written for our learning, that we might find patience and hope as we read the scriptures and so forth. And so we look back and we see the priesthood in the Old Testament, we see the, the storehouse and a, and a kingdom, a whole tribe of priests, the Levitical tribe. They got no inheritance, they got no land to plant or whatever. Their job was to minister on the behalf of God to the people and enable the people to come to God with their offerings and so forth. They were the ones who spent all of their time and life doing that. And God's reward for the Levites doing that was the tithe in all of Israel. That which belonged to God, he gave it to them. That was their reward. We looked at all of that the last time. In the New Testament, we don't have a priesthood like that. We're a kingdom of priests in the sense that we all minister to God. But as a priesthood that ministers to the people, we don't have that. But what we do have, we have fivefold ministry gifts. You have apostles and prophets. You have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Of those five office or ministry gifts, Two of them are generally called local ministries, the teachers and pastors. Some people put pastoring and teaching in the same boat as the same thing, but I believe they're two distinctly different offices. They can overlap. A pastor can be a teacher, just as an apostle could be a teacher and so forth. But 
today, instead of you giving your money to a storehouse from which we go and get what our needs are, you put those in what we call an offering. The offering is described as the gift of the people to the teacher. Remember Galatians 6, 6, let him that is taught in the word communicate with him that teacheth in all good things. Well, that has nothing to do with the word communicate doesn't mean a tithe. I can't find in the New Testament where it's a standard of how Christians give to the work of the Lord. But I do find that he said in 2 Corinthians, he said, let every man give as he purposes in his heart. The amount is between you and the Lord. No longer is it a tithe, but Jesus said it like this, as you measure it out, it'll be measured back to you. If you're going to give to the Lord's work, you give and God will give you back that way. That's the way you determine how it's going to come back. You can abuse that too. Some probably have made a lot of money. You say, well, you put a dollar in the bucket, and boy, you'll get a hundred back. Think of what happened if you put a thousand of them in there. Well, you'd be a fool not to put all the money. You go home, cash all your money tomorrow, and put it in a bucket somewhere that goes in an offering, and then we would own the state of Kentucky in a couple of weeks. If you got a hundredfold return like that, you'd be worth a gillion dollars, I guess. But it has nothing to do with greed and avarice and that type of thing. What we're talking about is you being responsive to God in a way that as he quickens you, you do that. And that might be more than a tenth. It's not some number like that. It's what he puts in your heart. It's another way you show how you respond to God. And and giving is a great revealer of what's in a man's heart. How much do you give? Well, he said, again, as a man purposes in his heart, that's a good place to start. Not grudgingly. You don't dread it. You don't wish you didn't have to. You just give as you purpose in your heart. Just like here, we don't have to take up an offering so nobody gets to watch what you put in. You can put in when you come in. You can put in when you leave. You don't have to put a dime in there. You could come and go and never put any money in the offering container here, and nobody would ever know it. That's your business. But God keeps records. And what you give is not my business or anybody else's. It's yours. It's between you and God. And that's the way it should be in the New Testament. Now, let me answer a few questions tonight. One is, do you give by check or do you give by cash or visa? How do we give in the church? Well, you know, a lot of churches do take visas or MasterCard. I mean, you can cha-ching it, right, I guess, either in the sanctuary or the entrance in the field. Or maybe the offering container has that little slot in it where it comes, it comes by you, ching, and I guess you got to, I don't know how it would work. Well, you laugh, but as you'll see shortly, this is the credit card age. I mean, cash is, what's that? Cash. Is that what they print? I don't have any of it, but I've got a card. The churches are just swinging to the whole trend of this age. This is one of those things that is a, and I'm going to use my word again, paradigm. Paradigm. And let me put a pause here. I looked in the dictionary again. P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M, and I hit the little speaker. You punch that with your arrow, and it'll tell you how to pronounce the word. And it said, paradigm, the lady said. And I thought, now, para, I can get that one. 
But D-I-G-M is not D-I-N-E. The French wouldn't say it that way. It's simply that if you don't want to give, you can give by a check, you can give by cash, you can give any way you want to. Some people don't want to give by check. They don't want me or whoever counts the money or they don't want to know who it came from. Just let the Lord know. They don't want their right hand to know what their left hand is doing. That's their conviction. Others, it's just a convenience to write a check and put it in there. Uh, The heart's still the same. It's really a matter of personal preference. You do what you believe in your heart you want to do. As far as tax deductions, we're not a tax-deductible church. We're legally a business (laughs) because I have to claim all this money as income and pay taxes on a lot more than I take home, than I actually keep. But somebody has to. And so while all of that money is taxable, I do know this that a CPA told me once that they would never argue with you about what you gave. I don't know what anybody gives in cash, but, uh, you know, that's your business. I'm just saying that uh, if you want to give, and people have asked this question, well, should a Christian give by cash or should they give by a check? Just as long as it comes out of your heart, whatever you believe the Lord wants you to do. Well, I'd rather give cash, but I don't have any with me. Well, then write a check. Well, I don't have my checkbook. Well, then smile. (laughs) Rejoice. Your heart's good. You're just not able to do much about it. Now, let's talk about money management tonight. Money management. In Psalms 112 and verse 5, it talks about a righteous man who fears the Lord. That's the way the psalm begins. Blessed is he that feareth the Lord and so forth. And in verse 5, one of the traits of a righteous man who is right before God in the way he lives and in what he believes, how he functions, he's right. It says that God will guide his affairs with discretion. I like that. Because it means that if I'm willing to live on God's terms as best I can, with as much as I know, if I'm willing to do that, pay that price, whatever it is, God said that he will guide all of my affairs with discretion. My relationship with you, with the world out there, Bonnie, or my family, uh, here in this church. Would it be nice to know that God guides all your decisions? The word discretion is what has to do with careful and responsible decisions. Not messing up all the time. Isn't that good? God will guide you in such a way that you won't mess up all the time. The reason that happens is because in Psalms 32 and verse 8, he said, I will teach thee and I will instruct thee in the way you should go. I fall back on that a lot in my personal life. I'm not sure about some things, about what to do, how to handle a situation, what to do about somebody. And I say, you know, Lord, while I don't know, you do. And what you have, you can impart to me, and I'm trusting that you will. When I need to know it, you will, because you said you will teach me in the way I should go. You will instruct me and teach me on how I should make my decisions. You will guide me. You will counsel me with your eye upon me. Well, what more do I need? If I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to to respond and my heart is right, that's all I need to live a life 
that is discretionary, that, that is responsible and makes good, careful decisions, and you don't mess up all the time. Some of the decisions we have to make in this life regards money. Under its little subtitle of money management, one of the first things is debt and borrowing. And a lot has been made of it, a lot of debates and a lot of discussions and arguments about debt and borrowing. Questions like, is it a sin to borrow? Is it a sin to be in debt? Do I transgress God if I'm in debt? Have I transgressed against God if I borrow? And again, that's some that have gone in one direction and they say have a conviction about not owing any man anything, and so they won't. Somebody else says, well, I don't quite see it that way, and they op- operate some other way. And it's interesting, that in the Bible, I don't think it declares that borrowing is a sin. That's not a license for anybody to go out here and borrowing. If it would be a sin to borrow, then it would be a sin to loan. And the Bible said we're going to lend and not borrow, or if borrowing was a sin, then whoever lent the money caused the sin. So we have to discover the fact that maybe we need to be quiet and be be still about this and see what it says. Not ever lay aside your convictions. Just listen to what the Bible says and let God do a refining work in your mind and your heart about what is right and how we function monetarily. See, debt is something that you owe. When you're in debt, you owe somebody something, usually money. And to be in debt means that you obligate yourself to pay back what you did not have that somebody gave you or lent to you. And they trust in the fact that you're going to pay them back because what they gave you, they don't have anymore. And whatever they could have done with what they gave you, they can't do it. But they're trusting that you will bring it back. But as long as you have what somebody else has, like money, when you borrowed money from somebody or you asked for money or you went to somebody to get some money, that's a debt. Whether it's a loan company, a credit card, not a debit card. A debit card might be a way out of that, but a credit card, a loan, a loan company, or you're getting something like with a credit card, you're using somebody else's money to get what you want. And they're trusting that you will pay them back their money. So it's kind of like a little loan. In fact, if you have a credit card and you use it at the end of every month, you're in debt until you pay it off. Unless, like some people do, I try to do it. If I owe $88 on my credit card, I try to pay $200 so I can have more than is on there, and that way I can charge a lot of things or use that card in a lot of ways, but I still don't owe anybody anything. It's just a little way that I do a lot of things. But sometimes it comes back when I go on a trip. It's a horrible thing to come in the mail. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Now, horrible to me, it might just it's $1,000 i got to pay back, whereas the average credit card debt in this country is around four to $8,000 per person. I think that is tragic, but it's a sign of the times. 
It's a sign of the day that we're in. I have so many statistics on percentages on debts and how much is owed and who owes what and how many of this and how many of that. And to me, it's almost, it isn't, but it's almost overwhelming about how indifferent people are to responsible use of money. I've talked to people before. I talked to a guy once. He came to me for some help. He didn't want a loan. He just said, I'm in a hole so bad, I need some help. And it was financial help. I said, okay, I can help you there. I think he owed like 12000 or $13,000 on one credit card. And, of course, I'm sitting there. I didn't grow up like this. My parents grew up when you couldn't get a loan. In the 1930s, you, you couldn't get a loan, hardly ever get a loan. And if you got one, you paid it off as quick as you could, and, and it was just a way of life. And when you have that drilled in you growing up, that's just the way you're raised. This person was talking to me about that kind of money and debt, 13000 some odd dollars on one credit card. And, of course, I'm thinking, is the door shut? I don't want anybody to hear this, but what's wrong with you? I think I said something like that. What's wrong with you? How in the world can you as a Christian sit in a gospel meeting twice a week for as long as you probably have with what you've heard and do that? Now, there's a disconnect between you and God. It's called greed or it's called covetousness. But that's the age you're in. Everybody owes a lot of money. It doesn't matter anymore. Who cares about getting out of debt? Years ago, when my hair was brown, I was up in the Quad Cities, that way up there in uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, up in there. I was in the Assembly of God Church. It's not indicative of them. It was just I was in that church and having a meeting. And uh, the preacher and I in our fellowship between meetings, he got to talking about his nice building. He said, yeah, buddy. He said, we borrowed all we could. He said, I'm going to borrow all the money I can, hope the Lord comes, and leave them hanging. And I think, you know, you didn't find that in Scripture. You didn't learn that from God. I don't know where you got such a distorted idea about how you relate to money that you obligate yourself to pay back. How can you then just dismiss that as even important? When you go to somebody and say, will you help me buy something? I don't have enough money, but I really, really want it. Or this is a need in my life, and I, I've got to have this. I can't. Can you help me? If somebody says, yes, I can. How many of you know, how many of you still know that you're obligated to pay them back? Well, I got the place where I said, I'm going to have to file bankruptcy. I don't care if you file Rupsy Bank. You still owe that guy that money. God will hold you to it. You asked for it. They gave it to you. I'm no friend of the credit card companies, trust me, or oil companies, or the telephone. I'm, and I'm not their buddy. But if they're willing to give you something and you're willing to take it and you obligate yourself to pay for it, I stand with them. You owe them. You obligate yourself to something, you should pay it back. That's the way it should be. But concerning debt, none of us should be in debt. Because of the promises that we have of being blessed. Like Deuteronomy 28 and verse 12, he said, You shall lend unto many nations, and you shall not borrow. How am I going to lend 
and not borrow. Almost everybody as a child growing up, not everybody, but almost is encouraged to have a good credit rating. Establish good credit so that when you want to go get some money, they'll say, oh, boy, he'll pay it back or she'll pay it back. Yeah, give him some money up to a certain amount because that's the way people live. People buy groceries with credit cards. They buy almost everything with a credit card. I think there's a complete irresponsible attitude towards money in a lot of Christians and how they use credit card and how they operate. There's too much of a greed. I've got to have something. You don't even need that. I know, but everybody else has got one. Why shouldn't I? You know, the preacher talks about what he's got. Well, why can't I have one? Yeah, I want that too. So it doesn't matter how you get it. I want it now. I don't want it tomorrow. I don't want to have to wait on God. I don't want to have to go through this and go through that and drive junkers until he gives me something nice. Why not? The road to heaven is pretty rocky some, sometime. You've got to learn how to live this way. That might be part of it. Are you going to bypass all of that? How many of you know that a little butterfly coming out of a cocoon struggles? And the story is that if you say, boy, I hate to say it, that looks like, oh, he's, so you get your little pen knife, you go out there and you cut his cocoon open, and he does. Because he needs to struggle in order to fly. It's like with us, we need to struggle in order to fly. I'll fly away. Anyway. And concerning the debt and the, and the wealth of the credit card companies, the Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender. If you want to borrow, then this is what you've got to do. Your source for what you wanted and what you now have, your source was a system. That's who you went to. That's who you turned to. That's where your hope was. Oh, but I got a great... I got, it's one preacher. One preacher told me, man, I got a great loan rate. We got all this money for just like... And I'm thinking, at the time, I didn't say anything. I got no dog in the fight. So I, I said, uh, is that right? Said, what are you doing borrowing anyway? Because we want a nice, big gaudy, impressive, compliment-inspiring place. So the people come in here, man, we're, we're looking good. It's not our building. It belongs to the bank. But I've even heard of having to bail churches out of their million, three million dollar loans or helping them pay off their loans. What's wrong with the church today? Whatever happened to trusting in the Lord? Whatever happened to just do, to be content with such things as you have until God brings what you're claiming? What's wrong with that? I wonder how many of us have claimed a, 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 a better used car, maybe a new car, and the one you drove got worse. And your well-meaning friends or parents said, well, my, my daddy said it once. He said, why don't you go to the bank and... Uh, Get some money, get you a car. Son, you, you need yourself a better car. I said, well, I've got one. And I told him, you know, I, he, didn't, he didn't understand. He said, where is it? And I said, I don't know. I claimed it. I asked God to give it to me. You know, that's so irritating. 
Get your head out of the sand. I'm talking about the, this life, things that are real. He said, you go get a loan, go get the money to the bank, and Mom and I will sign for you. We call it co-signer. We'll be surety for you. We'll stand good for your loan in case you can't pay it back. And, you, boy, you're thinking, that is a way out of having to trust God. Man, all I need to do is just go to, and I can just, I give a testimony. I want to praise God for my new car and, 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 and the Lord provided. Did he? Did he really? Everybody loves your testimony, but it's not true. That's not, it's not the way it works. But people don't mind. That's just the way that they do it. But question, the big question is, you know, why, why do people get in such debt? Why do the credit card companies run up or people have credit cards run up so much money and spend so much money on credit cards? Well, face it. Back in the 30s, which was how many thousand years ago, they still had wagons in? When nobody, when nobody hardly, well, I can remember growing up, there was, you very seldom saw a car. And there was no plastic, so there were no credit cards. We didn't get credit cards till 55. The first invention was 1950, but then uh, American Express, there were 27 restaurants in America, and you could use that card. And then 1958, they, and now there's, I forget, I think, one point some billion cards. The average person, the average student in college has seven credit cards. And I think their average debt is seven grand. And they think we're crazy. I think they've lost their minds. Going to a place where their mind is supposed to be enlightened, and they come out of there wringing their hands. But credit cards are relatively new. And it was an easy way to get something to fulfill the American dream. I mean, after all, we're raised, hey, look at all that's out there. Look at the advertisements and look at all the things that are available. The electronic worlds and your kids and those toys, I guess. And the cars and the trucks and the exuberance and lavish. Every, I mean, and it's made so available, no money down. Zero percent interest. Get it now while the getting is good. Live the dream. And we throw discretion and caution to the wind because we like to look good. When you're a young man, you like to look good because in your heart and mind you think, man, if I had me a new ride, if I had something that was sharp and clean and had a good sound to it, man, all the girls in the world would be wanting to ride in my truck. Then I'd be happy. Then I'd be comfortable if I just had that. Well, you can get that, brother. Just go, go get it. Well, how am I going to get? Go to the bank. There are 4.9 billion solicitations to credit cards every year. I can't tell you. My ad machine only goes so far. You get past a certain number and you get zero. I couldn't even break it down on on a couple of. And you get in the trillions. That's it. But some of the things that they say about how much everything costs. 
But this is how you get things. The bank will give you money. The first house I wanted to buy, it was a 13000 I think either five or $800. It was a three-bedroom brick with full basement and attached garage. It was $13,800, I think. That was what the house cost. The banker, John Bowen, where I grew up, boy, he said, you know, I don't, I don't know. You have no credit. You've never bought anything. We have nothing to measure you by. I don't know if we can do this or not. Today, if you could buy a house like that for $13,500, they'd give you all the $13,500 loans you wanted. Debt means nothing today. You know that? This country is in such debt, and they print another trillion dollars a year. How much have groceries gone up? I don't buy them. I, when I go in there, I buy crazy stuff. <laughs> Bonnie buys what we need. I go in there and have a big time. Okay, tell me milk is pretty high. I don't know. Automobiles. Who would have ever thought that an automobile today... A Cadillac, an Escalade would cost seventy-five or eighty thousand dollars for a car. I saw where there was a new Ford EL that's extra long, uh, a new one was sixty thousand dollars, and I saw one, you know, it's on eBay, a year older, for like forty. How would you have to go in and plop down sixty thousand, and next year's only worth forty? But it's the age we're in. Everything costs money like that. Paul was telling me how much beef costs at the stockyard now, how incredibly crazy the prices are, how much people are paying for things. But it doesn't seem to matter. A blue jean company can take a pair of somebody's blue jeans from 20 years ago with the knees out of them and thread it all over the back and the front and put them in a, in a window and sell them for 50 bucks. Yeah. And you can take an old T-shirt that's still muddy from whenever Grandpa wore it and hang it out there, and somebody will give you $30 for it. <laughs> it seems like everything is costing more, and people are looking poorer and poorer and poorer. <laughs> the people that have millions of dollars, they can't get past blue jeans. I think they think a necktie is a snake. Put a necktie around your neck, you know, thing will bite you. Some of you, uh, I'll date myself, but there was time and it was fun to dress up. Everybody tried to look nice. It just tried to look nice. Not gaudy, but nice. Today, as part of this shifting times, not only has money gone crazy, like in 1990, uh, the numbers I have in 1990, the average debt, the average number of people in debt to just 25 or 30 years later down the road, it's overwhelming. It is crazy. And I ask myself the question, how do we get like that? It's greed. As I've said, the Bible warns us about greed, getting things but not the right way to get it. And in the end, you're going to be a fool. And people are mad because you said that. Well, God said it before I did, getting mad at him. There's a right way for us to increase. And there's a wrong way. And the credit card is not the right way. They are handy, especially if you're on a trip. If you're on a trip out of state, 
You don't want to carry a lot of cash, but you've got enough cash when you get home to pay off whatever you're going to buy because you measure carefully how much you're spending. I do. And I know when I get home that I have spent nothing. I'm not going to completely pay off when I get home. I don't think I've ever let my bill go over, ever. I just make sure I don't spend beyond my means. Would I like to? Of course. Of course. I've seen some things. Boy, I'd like to have that. I could afford that maybe in a month. Well, you can't afford it now, can you? No. Well, then quit looking at it and quit thinking about it. Overcome. You can't have that. That's not yours. And so you learn to be responsible, to discipline yourself, to stay within your means. And if you don't have much, there's not a sin not have much. You say, well, I'm going to borrow because I think that's a good deal. I've got to have that. Well, if you want to borrow, go ahead. But remember, whoever you got the uh, money from is, the Bible says, you're a servant to that person. Again, it doesn't say that that's a sin unless for you as a conviction it's wrong. And if it is, then it is a sin. Does the Bible say he that knoweth to do good? Some people don't have that conviction. Well, I hope that down the road as the growth in your years begins to get deeper and more solid, that you'll begin to see things more God's way. And less the world's way. And if you look around at the people in this world who are trying to get and be happy, and you realize that all debt does is break up marriages, bust up friendships, makes people mad, gripe and complain, belligerent. That's not fair. I'll tell you one thing. That credit card company, I'm a, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you go blaspheming a credit card company, you're the one that spent their money. They didn't ask you to spend it. You spent it. Well, they ask you to. And you said, okay. So whatever they're charging you, if they're charging you 18% a month on the balance, that's robbery. Wait a minute. That's your problem, not theirs. You're the one that said, I want your card. Give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. Oh, excuse me. Uh, give me a card. It used to be an old saying, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. I went to bed with the gimmies and woke up with the ain't gots. But anyway... You wanted it. You've got it. And then the pressure comes. Now you can't buy anything. You can't go anywhere. You can't have anything because you're in debt over your ears. You've been made a fool of. You're not enjoying life. I asked this person, all this money you spent on that credit card, where is it? And he said, I don't know. What a fool. I've got to have, I've got to have, I've got to have. Well, what happened like so many young people happen? I mean, I understand this, this much of it. Work slowed down, lost a job, no money was coming in, so they used a credit card for, for everything. And it just piled up, and they knew it was getting out of control, but what else can I do? Well, there's probably a lot of better things you can do than, than that. What are they? Well, maybe in the office we'll talk about it. But I don't think that God ever said, your, your life is going to get so desperate that you're going to make bad decisions in order to be right with me. I don't believe that. I believe that you see yourself as a responsible person. You're confronted with all the, I wish I had, look what you can have, all the covetousness, no money down, low payments. You can handle that. That's no problem. And you start wanting all this kind of stuff. And then you get so disappointed when God said, that's not the way to get it. If you're going to get it that way, then you're going to live with the result. But that's not the way to get it. 
God has a much better way. And sometimes God's way is you do without it. You do without it with a happy attitude. And everybody else is driving a new one. How many of you remember my old black Bronco? Half a dozen of you. Boy, it terrorized snow. It did terrorize a snowbank. But it was ugly as sin. It was. You know, you get in that trademark, and I bought me a blue seat and put it in a black Bronco with a tan interior. Oh, it was ugly. It was so ugly that you almost had to back in to get in it. I mean, it was ugly. <laughs> Four-speed, six-cylinder, the fenders rusted out. And it seemed like every time I'd drive that thing where I had to park out front there, we'd have some visitor that want to go out and eat after church. And I'm thinking, uh, no, they don't have any room in there. So I'd get in my car and they'd look and they'd almost always go and look at you like, is that the best you can do? And the answer is for right now. This is what I got. I'm not going to try to put on a show for you or them or anybody else. If this is all I've got, it's all I've got. There was a time before I moved back here that the only car that we owned in our family was the car that her Bonnie's dad gave to David. I had to go on a trip, and I said, Dave, where's your keys? So He didn't have much of a car because his mom and dad had it. That was all we had. That was there. there wasn't one. I didn't have enough money to go buy what I needed to travel all the miles I was traveling, so I just did the best I could. I don't know if there's a lot of people that are willing to do that today or not. I think we're afraid we won't look good. Or they might hear us preach on prosperity while we're living below the level. I thought you believed. I do. Well, it doesn't look like it. Keep looking. Keep looking. Because here we are from the days of the Bronco. Now I've got, you know, I've had new. I get a new one every year or something, some kind of a model every year. But it's easier to trade once a year than it is to wait five years, I'll tell you that. But anyway, for whatever that's worth, there's just a responsibility that has to come. Because when you get to where you're lusting, as the Bible says, when you go to lusting after other things, the Bible says that these kind of temptations bring a snare and foolish and hurtful lust into your life. Again, you get so overburdened with debt you never thought you would have that one day you realize you don't have any money. You've got too much of the month left at the end of the check. You can't even meet your needs. Did you know that 40% of all householders spend more money than they make? More is going out. That's the government. It shouldn't be us. That's our country does that. But they can go out there in the garage and print a few million. And you can't unless you want to go to jail. But again, is, is borrowing a sin? Well, that just depends on who you talk to. I would not label it as a sin. Five years ago, maybe two years ago, I would say, well, yeah, it's a sin. But then again, well, then it's a sin to loan. If it's a sin to borrow, then it would be a sin to loan because loaning is what makes a borrower. Huh, okay. But when you look at what you get and what is offered, God offers you a much better way to live than that way. 
Now, when it comes like a, you have a business, you know, I don't know about all of that, about the need for this to get in located, to get involved. I, I would probably ask myself the question, is this the way God wants you to do it? Are you over your head? Or are you getting in over your head? I mean, how would God want you to do it? You know, if, well, like the building the church, well, you know, we got this big church. We got to, come on, folks, we got a lot of money to pay. Maybe you shouldn't have to pay that much money. Maybe you got ahead of God. Maybe this wasn't his will. Maybe it's your will. Maybe you wanted to look good and have people to talk about your nice building. I've been in some nice ones. I've been in some places where I preached, and I thought, boy, I wish I could haul this thing back home. Just a beautiful building. But more than beauty, it was comfortable, it was convenient, and you could have weddings in it. <laughs> and sometimes we just have to wait, folks. I know what people think when they drive by and look at this building out there, people in town. Why don't they get a better building? There's a way to get it. I'm sure there are, maybe there's not, but bankers in town who would love to see you come in and want a big loan for a big building. Then you can shut that mouth about debt and loaning and borrowing. Because you'd have to shut it up in, wouldn't you? You wouldn't be able to talk about it if you're guilty. You'd be preaching on something else and leave that out. Don't teach people about that because you're guilty of everything. You've violated what ought to be taught. Problems come when you borrow money, especially when you get money from your friends. You borrow $1,000 from me because you really got in a hole. Well, okay, fine. I'd rather you come to me than somebody else, but I can't handle everybody. <laughs> Don't line up after meeting's over because you... It, <laughs> We're going to short line you, but anyway, somebody comes up and borrows some money, want to need $1,000, I'm in a hole, okay, fine. Now, that's a whole lot easier for me in my family than it is outside of my family because it's easier to deal with usually in your family. And plus, I, you know, I know them well and pretty well. I'll give you $100 a month, and then they miss a month or a week or two. Now, the money I gave them is money I don't have anymore. You, you understand? And there's no interest because the Bible forbids charging your brother interest on money. You don't do that. So he misses a couple of months or a couple of weeks, and uh, I'd kind of like to have what I'm owed, but I'm, you know, I'm, Jesus said uh, if they don't want to pay it back, that's fine. Don't you make a big deal out of it. And then that person goes on vacation. You say, no, wait a minute, time out. Time out, if I may get a little smarter. Time out, Leroy. Let me ask you a question. You owe me $200, and you don't have it, but you're going to Florida for a week. That's my money you're going to the beach with. But I wouldn't say that. I would only think that, and then I would go on. <laughs> and then I would go somewhere and pray, Lord, give me a better attitude than that. Because that's his problem. My heart was good. I gave him the money. And I've told people, if something comes up and you can't pay me back, you don't owe me a dime, I'll release you from the burden. Now, if you want to pay me back, that's fine. If you don't want to, you don't have to, so that you don't owe me anything. We're free. I don't know if a bank will do that. I don't know if you can get that kind of a deal out down at the first local bank, but that's the way it works. And then people talk about interest. I remember a preacher friend of mine told me once that he got something with no interest. And I'm thinking, so what's that supposed to mean? 
Interest is a penalty. Interest is a charge for the use of credit or borrowed money or a penalty that's charged for the use of somebody else's money. And the credit card companies say, yeah, take my card. You got a limit of $1,500. Help yourself. We'll send you four checks a year to do whatever you want to with. Have a big time. Come on, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Whoopie-doo. And then you get behind one month, and somebody calls you on the phone from the company and says, where's my money? Where's that cheerful face? Where's that person smiling? Oh, we'll just give you what you want. Have a big time. Woo! Get behind a month. And then they'll, they'll turn around and it looks like some monster on the back, see, threatening to come after you. Have, have, you, have you ever been aggravated by credit card companies? Don't hold your hand up. You ever got behind a little while and they start calling you? I've had people come in and talk to me in tears about how they talk to them. I said, why do you even pick up the phone and listen to it? But let me go back and take the credit card company's side. You asked them for it. They literally baited you. They knew that most people have no control over their appetite for spending and having and getting and going and doing and being. That if they got a card that they can do it now, don't have to wait, they'll do it now. Now, there comes a day of reckoning, though. You had three or four cards. You owe $400 a month on those cards. You only have $100 you can pay them with, and they're all over you. I mean, they're on you pretty bad. It's not their fault. You asked for it. You're the one that applied for it. You're the one that took the bait. You signed up. You signed a legal document that said, I will pay you back at this, and if I go over the limit, you can charge me this or that or thus and so. And over the limit is a lot of money. Credit card companies make. They make on late fees, on their payments, over the limit, balance transfers, $118 million a day. Per day. Well past a billion dollars a year just like that. Now, when you get evil in your thinking, you think, well, they don't, what are they crying to me about all that money they got, $118 million a day in there? Wait a minute. I'm on their side. They have every right in the world because they're of the world. It's just part of the world system. They have every right in the world to require you to pay them back. Another credit card company that they own will give you a card where you can transfer all that balance over here to a new credit card and start over cleaning, and that shuts them up, but they own this card too. Or then you get on the radio, are you in credit card debt? Are they how you? Credit card companies own those people. <laughs> it's a part of their system. They know that some people aren't going to get their money back. They know that some people are $15,000 in debt, and the credit card company for five years, they haven't been able to get a nickel out of them. They sell this account to another kind of a company for $2,000. They got at least $2,000 back, and they write off the other 13000 
and the company with $2,000 acts like they're representing this country and call you up and say, look, we know you owe a lot of money. I know it's a burden to you. But look, give us $5,000 and we'll clear the debt. You will? We will. They just made $3,000. Everybody's happy. <laughs> that word about in the end he is a fool. I can see it. Folks, I'd rather go around just enough to get by today than to sit down tonight wondering how I'm going to pay these monsters off. I don't have any desire to be a part of that. Every year, the credit card companies, all these things I talk about, rake in $43 billion a year. $43 billion. That's more than we've had here in 20 years. $43 billion. That's a lot of money. 1.2 billion credit cards in the United States. And the average card interest is 18%. 18%. You don't even realize that until you get your card back. Like I said, I've got so many statistics here. I've got five pages of statistics. If you owed $4,000 and you paid the minimum, it'd take you 40 years to pay it off, and you will have paid like $15,000 in interest. Now, somebody has their brain in sideways. That's not very smart. I'm afraid a lot of Christians either weren't taught by their parents, never listened when it was taught, or it wasn't taught on how to handle and manage money. Some people have a reputation of always being broke, always barely getting by, almost never have anything, always needing something, always wanting something. They can't give because they don't have anything, but they make good money. Something's wrong. Either the devil has warped and twisted a lot of people's thinking or something has happened like that. And back to interest, what about putting your money out for interest, to CDs, uh, or money markets, or stocks and bonds, or investments of some sort. Wouldn't that be a good way to make money? Actually, what you do when you put your money in those funds, you put your money out there, and the bank gives you 3.5% a year for the use of your money, while they charge 8 to 10% a year for the use of that. They make money off your money. You're a part of their system, and you're bringing penalties on people out there and making misery more miserable. You're a part of it. I don't think God ever intended for us to live by interest. If you have money in a savings account, and I do, I didn't ask for the interest. And I think our church building fund, I think it was $170,000 in it right now. And last year, the interest, the taxable interest was less than $300. So we're not exactly getting rich. I didn't ask for that money. The bank voluntarily gave it that way, and I don't care anything about that. I'm not a big friend of all of that. Not like with credit cards, me and credit cards got into it one time, and we had a falling out, a deep falling out. <laughs> you know, the credit cards said, I don't like the way you're talking. I said, I don't care if you like it or not. You can get out of here as far as I'm concerned. I ran them off. I did. I cut the things up back years ago and didn't want it. And so credit cards have had a sneering look at me for years and years and years, but they have ruined so many people, so many people. You begin to lay up treasures for yourself. 
as Jesus said. Remember that Matthew 6? He said, lay not up for yourself treasures on this earth where moth and rust and thieves break in and steal. That doesn't mean you cannot have any money laid up somewhere for something. You may not know what to do with it. You may not have any instruction from the Lord right now about what you do with the extra. Bonnie's dad died, leaves us $2 million. For <laughs> I couldn't help it, but <laughs> he left us more money than we'd ever had. I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't by the day standards, it wasn't much, but uh, it was enough to buy a new car with and, and have some left over. What do you do with that? I don't know yet. I'm not going to be a fool and just throw it out there where it, it doesn't do anybody any good. God will have something to do with it. I know I'm not to trust in it. I'm not saying, well, I don't dread any coming problems, economic problems, because I've got some money laid up. That's not the right attitude either. God is always your source, not your money. Money is a horrible source. That's why the Bible calls it deceitful, because it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. In Proverbs 4, he said, you set your eyes upon riches and it mounts up with wings. These are my words. It mounts up wings and flies away, leaves you disappointed. Bad investment, you lost all that money. What are you doing in trying to make money that way anyway? Somebody gave me some stocks once. They were $3,000. said, that'll make you so much money every year. And I said, do you mind if I cash it? No, it's your money. I cashed it in. Not that it's wrong and evil. It's just, I just don't want to make it that way. I would rather not. But a lot of people do. Sometimes they say, well, what about that verse in Matthew chapter 25? Remember, they gave the talents, five, a three, and a one, and they went out, and one did this, and another did that. It turned to Matthew 25, and the guy that had the one talent, Matthew 25, you're not turning to it in your Bible. The guy that had the one talent, he was scared of the Lord that he might mess up. And so he told the Lord when he came to give an accounting to that man, to give an accounting of what he has done. With that one talent that he had, Matthew 25 and verse 26. Now, Jesus is teaching us something here. Came to this man and says, and you, I gave you a talent. What did you do with it? He said in verse 25, I was scared of you. I was afraid that I would mess up. So I didn't do anything with it. I've still got it. I've hid it. Nobody's taken it. I haven't lost it. But what you gave me, I still have, and I'm giving it back and nothing else with it. I'm just giving back to you what you originally gave to me. I was scared that I might mess up because I knew that you're a hard man. And verse 26, And his Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed or sowed. You ought, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers. And then at my coming, I should have received mine with usury or with interest. Then he said, Take, therefore, the talent from him and give it unto him that has ten talents. For unto every one that has shall be given, and he shall have abundance. That's still in the Bible. That is still in the Bible. And he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away from him, even that which he hath. And then the answer, verse 30, to this whole story. He said, and cast ye the what? The unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. What do you mean, cast the unprofitable servant? I thought we are all unprofitable servants. 
what's he talking about? Let me ask you a question. If it's, is Jesus looking for you a lot of money when he comes back? If this is only about money, then when Jesus comes back, he's looking to see how much money you've made with money. Either that or it's not about money at all. He just used money as an example or a talent. I believe that God, everything he gives any of us, whether little or a lot, he expects something from us. There's a kind of response that God requires of us as Christians in responding to God to do things the way he wants things done so that we, we are the way he wants us to be. Remember Paul said once to Timothy about studying and praying and, and being diligent in the ministry? Then these words, that thy profiting may appear unto all, 1 Timothy 4, that your advancement, your furtherment, the knowledge that you've gained and the desire to trust God with that knowledge and do that, your progress, it's important. He said, what I've given you, Timothy, we laid hands on you. Remember that? We laid hands on you. You have a gift. I don't cower in fear. God never gave you a spirit of fear. Now, you study and you seek and you pray and let God give wisdom to you. And you serve the Lord as best you know how. And you live in such a way that you inspire confidence in those people. They can see that it works for you, that you profit. I think that's the whole point of the story. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That's what God takes to heaven, not your money. He takes that soul. This is what we want to grow. We will use money in God's way and he will bless us and we will use our gift. What is our gift? Well, some of us know what it is. All of us know there are things we can all do, being cheerful, being kind, loving, complimentary, and, and helpful. We can all give. We can all share. We can all do some things. Some of us have a gift that goes a little more than that. God help us if we don't use it. I told a man once that has a wonderful gift, a gift that benefits Christians. It really does. It was an inspirational thing. And he set it aside. He doesn't use it anymore. He gave it up. And I told him, I said, God gave you a wonderful gift. And it's been an inspiration to me and to a lot of other people. Now you've walked away from it. That means you're not profiting with what the Lord gave you. Would you agree? Amen. If God gave you something, make sure it's recognized and used for the, for the Lord's glory. What if he gives you a cheerful countenance? Would that work? Is that a part of this? Of course it is. Look at how many sad and dejected people are in the world out there that, that don't know how to get up and go. Just remember this. Money belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of all the potatoes, all the tomatoes, everything in all the hills, the gold and silver, as Haggai said, belongs to God. Just make sure that you recognize that what you have received from the Lord is something that God wants you to be blessed with and to use it for the Lord's good. That's all he wants, for you to be quietly sensitive to his urgings. And that's all. You're not required to give all your money. You're not required to give until it hurts. 
You can walk out of here and not give a dime and come every day, every week and never put it. And nobody will ever know it. Nobody's ever going to knock on your door. It's between you and the Lord. But if you want to be blessed, you'll have to give something to somebody, whether the widows or those on a missionary trip, ministry, somebody, because that's what God holds us to. Amen. Close your Bible. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God have rule in your life? Well, is he Lord? That's what Lord means, to be ruler. Does he have his way tonight in your life? Did he have his way today? Do you really want to respond to the Lord to be and do what he wants? Would all of you like to have abundance? What half of you wouldn't want abundance in this life? Well, the only reason I hope you want it is because God promised it. Because if you gave me, I guess you could say, except for you that are young and families and have a lot of expenditures. For some of us, if he gave us ten times more than we have, it would not make anything better, wouldn't make anything brighter, except that you could give more. You could bless more people somewhere than you would if that hadn't have happened. And I think the older you get, the fewer the expenses you have, the less money you have to spend on what you used to. You know, Bonnie still eats a lot, so we still have, you know, buy, have to buy groceries and all that. Really, we don't have much of that anymore. So we do have more to share and to give. Not as a show, not for anybody to know it. Sometimes you can't help it. But just want in this way, in this part of my life and your life, in this way, I want to serve the Lord. There's other ways, but this is one of them. Amen?